All right. Here we go. Quiet. Roll up. Hello and welcome to the Big Picture Podcast, where we take a look at the latest movie news, the films of yesterday and today, and put it all into some sort of context. Seated across the microphone from me is Film Buff Online contributing editor, Natasha Bogutsky. And seated across the microphone from me, mixing up the opening, <laughs> is Film Buff Online editor-in-chief, Rich Trees. What so, was that? So we just took the, the movies of today and yesterday and flipped it the movies of yesterday and today. That's uh, all. Uh, okay. And I, as I was reading it, I knew what I was doing. I was like, you know, let's just mix it up a little. See how that sounds. And uh, honestly... It, it get through you because you're so used to a certain rhythm, didn't it? Only because it's you and you don't change things. That's my job. I know. I feel threatened. <laughs> He's coming to take over. <clears throat> well, technically, I'm your boss for this anyways, ish. You still kind of let me go off the rails and you stick to the script. I know. No, I'm just a terrible <laughs> boss. That's all it is. <laughs> and you couldn't control me if you wanted to. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Darren and I have had this conversation. <laughs> Not surprised. <laughs> Anyways, how's been your week? I watched Jackass. Yes. I saw <laughs> you mentioned that on Facebook. Um, I got through the first Why? One. <laughs> I was not feeling good and I yeah. needed some... Just crappy, literally crappy. And when I say that, I mean someone took a dump in a toilet uh, in a hardware store. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was going to say, well, that's usually where you do it, but oh, not in a hardware store. <laughs> uh, like, I needed some stupid stunts and toilet humor. It literally? Was, it was, Yeah. <laughs> It was just another version of pretty much watching America's Funniest Home Videos. Yeah, when you... Uh, just before more we extreme. Were, before we started recording and you mentioned um, Jackass to me and stuff, that was my first thought. I was like, is this kind of like the like the extreme version of America's Funniest Home Videos or something like that, which is just an evolution off of candid camera from the 60s and 70s? You know, is this is this what we've come to? Is well, this the the logical progression of these? You know ideas? how long Jackass has been around, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, then I wouldn't exactly say it's anything new. No, but I mean, in terms of overall, like when Jackass first started, you know, everybody was kind of comparing it to yeah, it's a little bit like you know America's Funniest Home Videos, but you know they're going out there and purposely doing this kind of a thing. Yeah. And it, it kind of grows, and then you have like offshoots like uh, America of uh, those impractical jokers thing, yeah, you know, which is, yeah, we're just you know, guys pulling goofy stunts on each other. How does that translate as a stage show, by the way? Because they're going back out on tour. Because I drove yeah, by I the remember. local, uh, you know, uh, hockey arena that also doubles as a concert venue and stuff, and they're there's they're coming, they're coming to our area, and I keep looking at that sign every time I drive by and going. How do you turn that into a stage show? Do you just show videos? Do you just have people like pay you $40 a ticket to come in and watch a giant TV? I don't get this. I I really wish I could understand and you're looking at me like, I don't know. <laughs> no, I it, it's doing the stunts and the skits. 
I mean, how did Monty Python become good for the stage? Mm-hmm. Think of it in the same well, way. Well, those are actual sketches. That's a, there's a theatricality to Monty Python, and they were able to do that like on tour in places like the the Hollywood Bowl. Okay, take away the sets, take away the costumes, take away the snappy dialogue, leave the the slapstick and the stunts, and that's what you get in a sa- stage show. It's something like this, I guess. But when you're saying it's a you're, it's still you're planned pulling practical out. jokes on somebody yeah. and recording it. You when you're walk that's because practical jokes happen in the real world in a setting where people aren't expecting it. You know, like if you pull a joke on a coworker or something like that. How do you translate that into an artificial environment where you know walking onto the stage somebody's going to do something to you? That's going to affect how you react to it. Even if you don't know what's going to happen to you, you still I think because you're on a stage and you have, you know, they're not 10, pulling people jokes on people. They know what they're getting themselves into. They know so, what the skit is. They know what the stunt is. Oh, for impractical jokers? Oh, I don't know about impractical. Okay, that's okay. That's joke, sort of where I was. Jackass. Yeah, jackass. They know what they're gonna do for the most part. Every now and then, I mean, like in the the trailer for the new movie, there's the thing where they they have what looks like the sidewalk leading up to a ramp uh but it's actually a photographic backdrop and the guy just like rides into it and smacks into it like the coyote uh, into a into that a cliffside so which is hilarious to me i'm not a big slapstick person so i don't kind of like you the liked Road it because it was live action looney tunes yeah but much. i yeah and even i don't even like the coyote roadrunner ones all that much because it's just straight slapstick I love slapstick. But I know. <laughs> I, I loved the Three Stooges as a kid. So it was just kind of... I feel like all of these kind of were based in a slapstick style. It is not clever humor. It is base. But there is something that you don't need to think about it. Mm-hmm. And if you're feeling like I was last night, where I was just in pain and miserable, and I can't concentrate on something for way too long, um, sticking something like that in was a good way to just shut off my brain and laugh for a couple of hours. And that's that's fine. And that's that's the great thing about movies in general, too. So I wouldn't even say this is a damn movie because there's no story. Well, yeah, it, it's literally just segments strung together. OK, because there's no narrative flow, yeah. shall we say, to this. And these people are not playing characters. They're they're themselves. Yeah. Are the Jackass movies documentaries? Um, I I still when I think of documentaries, I still think of there being like a a talk aspect to it of you know kind of talking to your audience about your internal monologue, kind of venting as if you're you, you going mean to like a therapist. Like a talking head, you know, thing, a talking head component, interview component. Like when you're watching The Office, you know how they kind of take someone in yeah, the office yeah, in yeah. between segments, yeah, and you're talking. The talking yeah. head segment, yeah. I didn't know that's what that was oh, called. Okay, yes, but that's that's where the band got their name. Of course it did. <laughs> Anyways, um, in those talking head segments, that's where I would string together whether or not it's a documentary because there's still an emotional uh, undercurrent of you know thought and process and all that, and that is your way of actually 
being able to discuss that part with the audience. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a weird version of therapy in that yeah. in that segment. Um, but this does not have that. So no. I wouldn't even call it a documentary. But- I would just say take America's Funniest Home Videos, get rid of your host, get rid of your narration, and take all the videos and just string them together in one big long compilation. And that's jackass. I know. <laughs> but I would say, just for sake of argument, not every documentary has has talking head segments. Um, there's a lot that don't. Um, you know, I'm thinking all the way back to like something like uh, the critically acclaimed uh, salesman from the Maisel Brothers back in uh, the 60s, you know, where it's they just have the camera following people around and they put that together. But I feel like there's always – there's a story to be mm-hmm. told there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Documentaries definitely have stories. They're definitely telling you a, a form of a narrative story. Yeah. This has no narrative story. Okay. But does a documentary need to have a narrative story? I think it does. A documentary, okay. I feel, is not just to have a narrative story but also to inform your audience. So, so, there is no inf- information <laughs> being given in this. There is no story not, no. being told. No. <laughs> but so so what do we classify that these films as? They're not fiction, they're not documentary. What's left? Uh, a 2 hour long compilation video. That's what I call it. Okay. <laughs> it's not cinema. Is that what you're saying? Just because it's a movie and it's shown in the cinemas does not quite make it cinema. Okay. And now we start sounding snobby like, like, oh, we're Martin Scorsese now. We're going to poop on uh, superhero movies. I'm not pooping on superhero films no, or you know I'm what not I pooping mean. on I'm... Jackass. I know. I, lit- I liked it. I had I had a lot of fun with it. I gave it like one and a half stars on Letterboxd because it's... <laughs> I can't exactly classify it as a movie, per se. Just because it has the runtime of a feature film does not make it a feature film. Mm-hmm. But um, this is... Uh, it is literally a massive YouTube compilation. I, I was just about to say it's a YouTube playlist before YouTube was invented. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> but following the same characters. Mm-hmm. So it's like just the one group. Okay. Like, we're jumping back and forth. Something's happened in Tokyo. Something's happened in America. Something's happened at, you know, one person's uh, mother's house in Westchester, Pennsylvania. Not Mm -hmm. kidding. No, no, no. I know that, like, one of the guys was from that area. In fact, um, when I was living down there, every now and then there were sightings of of the, I can't remember who it was. Ryan Dunn. Hmm? Ryan Dunn. Okay. He died about uh, in 2011 in a car uh, crash. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, but yeah, when I was down living down there in 2008 or so, there were occasional sightings. You know, somebody was, oh, hey, you missed Ryan Dunn. I was like, oh, the jackass guy. Okay. And, you know, because I was never a fan of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. You know, and I, I think honestly, when I was living there, I got more excited because I saw John Popper of Blues Traveler walking down the street one day as uh, we were driving through town because, he, well, it was like a block away from the blues club that the band was playing at that night. And we're, we're driving along and uh, my ex-wife looks at me and goes, is that John Popper? I'm like, holy crap, it is. <laughs> and um, we go we go home. We tried to the, – the show was sold out, but uh, – you know, we we had this moment where we're like, wow, John Popper, that's cool. <laughs> but from Blues Traveler. And you're looking at, oh, my gosh. 
Oh dear, I'm gonna have to uh, send you some links to listen to some music later. Anyways, um, <laughs> you may have to watch some Jackass with me. Fair trade off, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Although I think you're coming out on the better end because you're getting some new cool music coming your way. Anyways, yeah, the, the, we'll see about that. Your some of your taste hits with me, and some of it doesn't. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> It's always it's always interesting to 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 have those conversations. Exactly. Where you're just like, I do not get this. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> but um what did you catch up with this weekend? Um this weekend was kind of busy. Um I was off uh celebrating uh well, working a free comic book day mm. at the local shop that my friend uh Chuck owns. And we had a wonderful time. It wasn't that busy. He actually was kind of downplaying it a little bit because of uh, COVID. Uh, the last 18 months or so, he's been doing a lot of um, uh, shipping to local uh, customers, shipping comics, uh, delivery of comics. And so for he basically kind of said to the customer base, if you want something from Free Comic Book Day, here's the list of the free books. Yeah. Let me know. I'll put them in with your regular order, and then I'll just you know deliver that and everything. So we didn't get a whole lot of business, but it, you know it was nice to have people come in. Um, we had a uh, a little bit of a limit on how many people could come into the shop, and I think uh, some of the other shops uh, that I was reading about online around the country were doing similar things. Um, It'd be great to go back <laughs> to the craziness that it's been in the past years. Those are the fun days that I really miss. Those are hard working days where we're where we work about a good ten hours, you know, straight with no break. But it's always fun because you know a lot of kids are coming in. You're going, here's a comic, check it out, and you know you're you know as we joke, you know, first hits free because <laughs> we are. <laughs> Pushing a new kind of drug. It's called a comic book, kitties. And um, I still have all those um, Kylo Ren and Scarlet Witch ones mm -hmm. uh, that I purchased. I have not sat down and watched or read a single one of them. I know that um, because of things going on in your life, uh, you know, I helped you pack that stuff up. Um so I know that they're all in their bags and bo with boards and everything. So they're mm -hmm. all in good condition. Um, but once everything gets settled down um, and you have time to unpack that again, you're I was would... saying I should I should yeah. uh... give mm. them a read. I mean, you're a big Kylo Ren fan, so I, I'm yes, I am a I am a big Kylo Ren fan, but I'm still kind of like comics are like a very weird thing for me. Sometimes they hit, sometimes they don't. And I think what I'm scared the most about is opening these up because I've hyped them up so much in my brain mm -hmm. that they're just an utter disappointment. <laughs> and then I'll be pissed that I threw so much money into them. Wait, it was a four-issue miniseries. Twelve bucks minus whatever not, my... It's not just that. Oh. It's all of the Scarlet Witch stuff, too. Oh, yeah. That's a lot of Scarlet Witch stuff I bought. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but, hey, comics are like that. Some stories are going to be great. Some aren't. And sometimes you get excited for something and it falls flat. It's like movies. It's like TV. 
But um, one thing that didn't fall flat for us, I think, uh, this week was um, Free Guy. No, that did not fall flat at all. No, so I saw why, don't it we twice. Just, why don't we just segue right into our review here? Um, yeah, so first of all, yeah, you went and saw it twice. Um, we saw it at the press screening, mm-hmm. and um, I was home. I got home late from, well, we both got home late because we went out for um, a bite to eat afterwards mm-hmm. and then drove back home. You were a little later getting home than I was. Yeah. Um. Actually, no, you were just no, later no, going no. to bed. Yeah, I was later going to bed because <laughs> I was so excited from the film that I sat down and I wrote most of my uh, print review for Film Buff Online that night. I wrote about 500, 550 pay, uh, words of the, I think around 700 or so, 750 of the actual review. So I wrote a good chunk of it like right when I got home. After I dropped you off at your car so you could go home. I spent like that last 20 minutes driving across town um, just, you know, percolating all the thoughts that I had about it, and and it just kind of fell out. And I always like those kind of films because I, I think writing a review for a film that I like is harder sometimes than writing a film, a review for something I didn't like. Because when I didn't like something, I can kind of articulate – you know, what I think was wrong structurally or a bad performance or in the script or what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes when you like something, like Jackass or Free Guy, it all kind of hits on a uh, visceral level. Uh, but I would say, though, that, you know, the Free Guy story about a computer game background character that becomes self-aware, I think it plays uh, fairly smart with the script. Yeah, um, even Darren really enjoyed what they did thematically with that. Mm-hmm. And he, he really loved that they kind of leaned into the idea of the AI and it being artificial life. And does artificial life have rights, pretty much? Mm-hmm. It's something, you know, I noted in my script. No one ever says, if you turn that off or if you destroy that, you're committing murder. Because that almost feels... Like they're putting too much of a a button on it, you know. Yeah. They're just they're it's a hat on a hat. We know from the the character himself and how we see him portrayed and acting, and we see from the people in the real world's uh, reaction to their realization. Oh my gosh, this is a true AI. Mm-hmm. We understand as the audience that yes. This is an actual, what we would consider a person. And, of course, they don't dig into, like, the legality of it or anything like that. Because it, you know, at its heart, it's a goofy comedy. But I like that idea. And um, I don't think we see that in these type of things kind of really explored. No, I wouldn't I wouldn't say so either. Um, but I was, I was very glad that it is here. Um, a bit because I I think we needed that. It, as video games are starting to play more of a medium in general, particularly uh, to get more interest in filmmaking, we're gonna we're gonna end up seeing a little bit more of discussion of how video games play 
Uh, no pun intended. <laughs> you mean how video game? How what kind of play style there are in video games? Play style or? and uh, a lot of the visual work too, and, mm-hmm. and the background characters. Um, like for example, a lot of video games recently are not using your traditional just CGI work. They're using actual actors and they're mocapping. Um, like for example, for what was it, cyber cyberpunk or something like that recently, had Keanu Reeves. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, there was a game with uh, Scorpion from uh, Spider-Man, oh, God, uh, Homecoming. Uh, like, they're, they're actually grabbing actors and they're going, no, come over here. It's giving you a chance to try something new. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, having the ability to do mocap for uh, films is kind of still a rare, a rarity because they have when they mocap, they then have to take your mocap performance and they have to make it look realistic and CGI for a movie in order to fit. Yeah. Um. The visual work of a video game doesn't need the reality of the look. Mm-hmm. It can be whatever it wants to be, but they can still utilize the actor's performance. And I think that's that's an interesting way to go about it is we don't have to worry about how we're going to look so we can have fun and learn something new from this medium. Um now whether or not they're also doing that for NPC characters remains to be seen. But either way, the algorithm that creates that, having your players mixing in with your NPCs and how those two can affect the other, how they can cause them to evolve. Um, I can fully see this becoming a reality situation. The hell with... You know, Skynet and all that shit. <laughs> Video games, I have a feeling, is where you're going to find your first true AI. Mm-hmm. And how we react to that as a society is going to be really interesting. I guarantee you there's going to be a section of society that's going to reject an actual artificial intelligence's um, personhood, yeah. for lack of a better word. Uh and say they don't have legal rights, things like that, because – and they'll make a religious argument out of it. Mm-hmm. They'll say – We created it. We created it. We're not God. We didn't imbue it with a soul, so therefore it's not a real person. But we played like God when we yeah. created it. So my, my, what makes it any different from us? That's true. But my my It's a Frankenstein point, story. Oh, yeah. It's a Frankenstein story. Exactly. Exactly. This is a Frankenstein story. In a way, this is a Frankenstein. Free Guy's a Frankenstein story too. Mm-hmm. But I think in reality, my my point being is, um, unless you can show me what a soul looks like in a court of law, your argument that something that doesn't that you believe doesn't have a soul isn't a person isn't a good argument. Cut me open, and show me my soul. That's what I would that say. That sounds like a Red Hot Chili Peppers song. <laughs> <laughs> I'm no, sorry. There, I'm sorry. There isn't enough just... Californias in there. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I, I had someone recently put that up on Facebook where they're like, Red Hot Chili Peppers, is it really a Red Hot Chili Peppers song if there isn't, you know, 
if California isn't talked about, I, I go, I know, they're just giving it away. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely Thank done. You. Thank Nicely you. done. I felt very proud. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, you're right. This is a this is ultimately probably the funniest Frankenstein story since Young Frankenstein. Because, well, ultimately it's a comedy. Well, yeah. Yeah. But I, I'm very thankful that they kind of take the smart approach to it it's in, not on certain levels. It's not just a comedy, though. It, it, I feel like trying to it, – it's imbued with a theme of you, could, of you can be whatever you want. You have the ability to change the world, not just change yourself, but change mm -hmm. the world. And um, anyone who tells me that artificial life can't be life – I would say, take the person out of the equation. What does it do to everyone else around you? Okay. Because in this film, we see as Guy evolves and he interacts with the other non-player characters, the other non-player characters also start to evolve mm -hmm. until they are their own person. Okay. As they start to evolve, now take Guy out. What does it do to all the others? Do they go? Do they revert back, or do they keep evolving? That is the measure of whether or not something is mm -hmm. alive and something is human. Is it, it's almost like a weird suicide argument when they say don't do it because what is that going to do to the people around you? Yes, you are important to someone, mm -hmm. and all of these characters are important to someone else in the game. Yeah, there's a domino effect. Yeah, and. Um, and I, I think that's played with a little bit here. It's not fully gone into, no. but it is played with. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, we're recording on Sunday morning, and I'm seeing on the Hollywood Reporter uh, front page that Ryan Reynolds is saying Disney is definitely interested in a sequel. Of course they are. Which, you know, obviously anything is going to be a franchise these days. I'm surprised Little Women wasn't looked at as a potential franchise launcher. Um, I know you're looking at me like, what? I'm, what? I'm just think, saying studio I, thinking is possible. absurd. Um, hey, little men, come on. Um, little men never succeeds as, a, as an adaptation. That's why they stopped doing it after like <laughs> one done in 30 years ago, 40 years ago. Mm. Is is just not a good story to begin with. So don't mess with it. <laughs> just let it. Let Louisa May Alcott stuff stick to the book. We don't want a Louisa page. May Alcott uni cinematic universe. Maybe if Greta Gerwig's doing it. <laughs> but uh, here, I, I would be down for that. I, I, I even if Greta Gerwig's doing it, I still wouldn't be on board because it's a story now that kind of flips the idea of Little Women on its head. Mm -hmm. And she kind of brought that into a feminist age. Now doing a story about little boys just kind of destroys that idea. Yeah, yeah, true. It 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 just doesn't have the same. Uh, it doesn't have thematic the same, interest. To yeah, you. yeah, not same just thematic here. interest to me, but I mean in the society that we live in. Fair enough. Fair doing enough. a story about little white boys in a school. It is. This is not Dead Poet Society or Emperor's <laughs> Club territory. We don't want it. <laughs> and the last time that was done was almost twenty years ago. So true. Uh, but getting back to uh, Free Guy, yeah, no, I think if Guy were to disappear out of Free City at yeah you know, after a certain point in this story, 
those characters would continue to evolve. I'll probably end up going to see it, but... um... Again? No, I mean the second free guy. Oh, the second free guy. Okay, sorry. Uh, But I kind of like this as a one-and-done story. Same here. It wraps up nicely. Everybody has an arc that concludes. Uh, I think Guy um, has a nice end point. Uh, I think uh, Millie's character definitely has a great end point. Mm-hmm. Um, I, oh, God, this so pissed me off. At our screening. Oh, yeah, the guy in the, front of the us. The guy in front of us. You know, and I've never seen that in a screening in 10, 11, 12 years, however many I've been going to actual, you know, press even, slash public even, screening. Oh, Thomas. Oh, Thomas. Oh, that, that's, that's just somebody getting into the movie and, you know, expressing their thing. Yeah. During the one Maze Runner movie. Um, <laughs> she, she, still rem- she still remains the, you know, I want to adopt you as my new grandma because she was she was just so into the movie and she was just oh no oh no you know she's just living it and loving it and that i thought was great this guy just actively heckling the movie for that one moment which it may come off as a little saccharine but i thought he was kind of out of order for i was like shut the fuck up dude i really was irritated with that guy and um you know but I don't want to start anything at a screening because, you know, who knows if I'm like telling the, uh, you know, the the critic from the Philadelphia Inquirer to shut the fuck up. I don't think he was. This guy was certainly not. But, um, you know, I just don't want to like you don't make know a wave. You, yeah, I don't want to make a wave. Yeah. And then they go they go back to the publicist and then suddenly we're not going to screenings anymore. You know, so there's a moment of self-preservation. But. I think the movie earned that moment. It set it up early. Uh, it did set it, it up pay- super fucking early. It pays off a whole lot of why this movie is happening. Yeah. And um, I didn't think like they sprung it on us or anything like that. If you're paying attention, everything falls into place at that moment. You're like, oh, okay, It doesn't exactly. even fall Boom. into place. It was in place long before I saw it coming. Oh really? Okay. Oh god, yeah. When she's checking te- checking the uh, the trace record and we're getting that first video of Joe Carey talking and um you know, she's following and she's watching the the videos and stuff and she's having a realization she can bring him back to life again. Mm-hmm. I put it together then during that video. <laughs> if you're actually listening to the video mm-hmm. when he says I based it off of the well, yeah, I the, mean, that, that was kind of obvious, but the fact that what happens at the end where Guy basically tells her, and then she makes that realization and and comes back to, comes out of the VR game and does what she does. And yeah, it feels, it feels a little bit like standard rom-com. We're standing across the street from each other, and I like where they end that, though. In the middle of the street? In, in the middle of the street, right before they kiss, that's when they cut to the black. And I like that. I was like, that works. We don't need that long kiss because this movie is not that kind of a romantic comedy. And it's not about these characters. No. But it is kind of about the growth of these characters. Yes. And, and I think there there is something about how particularly Joe's, Joe Carey's character has been so beaten down by the world at the beginning of this movie. 
And then we finally kind of see him standing tall at the end of it because he realized that all the work that he has done and all the love that he has imbued into this world, mm-hmm. it's hasn't been wasted. And so you kind of see him by the end of it, a much more confident self. Yes. Um, and I think even in like the past, like right before Tsunami was about to release their game mm-hmm. um, in that little video, he was still kind of beaten down by the world at that moment. And then it just got progressively worse mm-hmm. in the present. But then at the end of the movie, I think there's something to be said about her realizing it because also her attitude towards him has changed throughout this entire journey. Like how much he has helped, uh, how much he's willing to stand up to the big guys and really actually just give them the fucking finger <laughs> right to their face. Mm-hmm. Um, he has become the man that she always kind of wanted to be with, but didn't kind could see it, but it wasn't there yet. True. And once it was there. I finally realized. And I think they needed this journey to bond mm-hmm. and for both of those to grow. So, yeah, the arcs do pay off. And uh, Ryan Reynolds doesn't really do emotional or sappy all that well. <laughs> I'm sorry. He doesn't. He's not great Fair. at it. When he tries to do emotional, he just comes off as self-pitying. Think Deadpool too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It, it's just one big long vat of self-pity. And it annoys the shit out of me. But at the end of this movie, he has a line that he tells Millie um, that I was like, not only is that a well-written line, it's also very well-delivered. Yeah, you you in the movie at the screening, you were like, ooh, great line. Yeah. <laughs> and you seldom make those kind of comments. Yeah. But yeah, it's exceptionally well written, succinct, and the kind of line that where I go, damn it, I wish I thought of that. Um, <laughs> Sorry, it is no, but that that is definitely a a culmination line too. Mm-hmm. That is your climax right there. Yes, and that's and if that line the whole, wasn't there, that's the whole heart of the movie. Yeah, boom, right there. Um, said in four words. Four or five words. Yeah. It was like, wow. Mm-hmm. Um, before we wrap up, though, I do want to praise Jodie Comer's performance here. Aww. Because it's subtle. It's beautifully subtle because she's playing two different – two characters or two different aspects of the same person. And I found that really interesting because, like, the second she's in the game, she's, you know, strutting around. She's got the tight leather pants. She's got the armored bodice underneath the shirt that you can see. I even noticed, like, when she takes out her weapons and stuff and puts them behind, there's almost like a a robotic gesture to that that you would actually see in a video game. I noticed it the other (laughs) night when I went and saw it when she was, like, picking Mm -hmm. up the gun. There wasn't, like, a flowy, like, oh, I'm just going to put it down here. No, it's like, it was it was like a really subtle robotic move, and I was like, "Oh, I really like that." Ooh, okay. I'm 
I'm sure at some point I will be watching this movie again, maybe in a theater. I don't know. Um, but but what I liked about that was when she's in the game, she is a more confident person. Mm-hmm. I mean, we see that flashback interview with her and uh, uh, the other guy. and um, We'll get to you off in the morning. Uh, medium coffee, cream, two sugars, and uh, an endless need for validation. Yeah. Well, that's that's the heart <laughs> of her character. Um, and she finds living in well within the game is her validation mm-hmm. as she's searching for the clues to show that Taika Waititi's character had stolen you know code from her. But what what I like though is you know she as she's at the, her avatar in the game, you know she's all is she's projecting everything because she knows that it's on a certain level. No harm can come to her. So she feels confident enough mm-hmm. to be, you know, the badass, uh, ass-kicking, you know, woman that she is in the game. And, you know, she's, I think, in the game, she projects herself uh, more sexually confident mm-hmm. um, in terms of how she dresses versus when you see her in reality, she's in baggy jeans and a big bulky sweater, which is her armor in the real world. Yeah. She's kind of downplaying her own looks. Um, she, you know, has her hair down, it's frazzled, and she's kind of frumpy. Or it's like pulled up and like a messy bun. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. She and until um, near and close that's to just the end ex- of the film. Yeah, and that's just her externalizing her own uh lack of confidence in the real world. Mm-hmm. And how the fact that um the theft of their code by Taika Watiti's character, Antoine, has affected her. And then sort of as yeah, as you said, towards the end of the movie, we start to see her get more confident as she realizes I can find the proof. We've got the proof. Oh, we lost the proof. And then everything that happens, we see that arc and we see her in the real world kind of um, change a little mm-hmm. bit. And the two I like characters almost mold into one. Yeah. And I like how that, you know, that two sides of her character are very subtly but distinctly portrayed by her. I think it's great work. Yeah. And the desperation that she has in the real world segments are, is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Like um, near the end of the, uh, the film when she gets booted from the game and now it's all up to guy and she just has to sit there and watch and hope to God that he can actually make it and not get killed. And she's like, come on, come on, get up, get up. And yeah. it, like, there's just such a good desperation, but um, like still cheering him on. Mm-hmm. And she, there's something I always love about Jody, no matter what she's in. Mm-hmm. She's great at duality and she's a pure fucking chameleon. Like, oh, yeah. I mean, we see her in, uh, You've, you know, I've watched Killing Eve with you. So we see her as her assassin in a disguise. Uh, so it's almost like the reverse of mm-hmm. what she's doing here. Yeah. Here she puts on the uh, uh, disguise of confidence while she's playing the game when she's really not very confident in herself. Mm-hmm. And in the show, she's a very confident assassin. Who on who, occasion who on occasion disguises leaves. herself as somebody who But is we also see moments of vulnerability too. Well yeah. And they develop that as the series goes on. Yeah. But. Um if you need to see proof of why Jodie Comer is gonna be one of the next A-list superstars, um, pull up a scene 
from Killing Eve uh, about Billy. Uh, who do you want? Where she walks around Sandra O's, they're trying to decide on who's her her next, you know, skin that she's going to use to infiltrate into a group. And he's like, "Do you want, you know, the Australian?" You know, was, um, what season is that? It was like season two. Okay, it, just to, just to help like people find two. it and let them discover the clip. But yeah, yeah, season two. Let me see if I can actually find it's. It's like one of their must see moments from BBC America. Okay. Uh, okay, here it is. So go on YouTube and go to BBC America's page. Look for must see moment Billy from Killing Eve. Um, it was posted about two years ago. And then you're going to see why we are just raving and raving and raving about her. Yeah. Um, I Honestly, Killing Eve is it's, – it's not a super popular show here in the U.S. Um, it has its audience. It and has, has its, its audience. Fans, but I, I think getting her into a movie like this is going to get her in front of more eyeballs that aren't going to see her in Killing Eve. Yeah. And I think that's going to help her career, hopefully. And, it, and it's a shame because um, – like, I knew of Killing Eve probably right when season two was dropping. I had heard about it for a long time. I'd heard mm-hmm. about the, the awards it racked up at the Emmys, the Golden Globes. And um, it was considered by EW to be, like, one of the greatest shows of that year. It was up in, like, the top five. So I was like, I've got to check this out. I sat down to watch season one, and I went pew, right through it <laughs> in one day. And I was like... Uh, uh, no, I need more. I need more. I need more. <laughs> um, but I just want to throw one last little bit out mm. for Taika Waititi. Okay. He's good in this. He's a lot of fun. He's not just a lot of fun. There is something frightening about him in this. Yes. He, this could have been a kind of almost a cartoonish portrayal, but he keeps a little bit of edge and darkness underneath it. Yeah. That, that. I don't think a lot of other actors would have brought. Yeah. And I really like. This could have gone really just, they kind of let him go a little off the rails, Mm -hmm. but he reels it back in for certain moments that he actually genuinely scared me in some parts here. Um, Not just when he goes for the servers at the end with the ax. When he brings uh, Joe Carey's keys into the office and he's, you know, blah 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 and he looks at the security and goes leave us there's just there's such a a calm power there Mm -hmm. of someone who absolutely even though everything is going to shit there he's got something up his sleeve he's way too calm at this moment he's Mm -hmm. really it's dangerous it's unnerving and that was a great little moment to have in there um I want to see him do a little bit more where he's not always just the comic. Because there's something, yeah. like, even when he did Jojo Rabbit, when he was playing Hitler, as the film progresses, he gets more and more terrifying because he's becoming more unhinged. Yes. Um, and that's just a reflection of... Um, of Jojo you know, realization. Realizing what Hitler actually is. Yeah. Um, and what Nazism and what's actually going on in this country, which is a great, you know, it's a great arc through that movie. It is, but I want to see more 
of him playing roles mm-hmm. like this. I, I do, but I also want to see more Taika Waititi-directed movies and not just, you know, Thor, Love, and Thunder. Yeah. You know, he still has, I think, I think he's already shot it and it's just waiting release, a movie about, um, like, World War II uh, POWs playing soccer. Um. There's so, it's something like that. There's that and that I'm really interested in seeing. He was attached to a War of the Roses project with um, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch. I'd heard about yeah, that. I, yeah, I had mentioned this a while back, and I haven't heard any news on that. So I'm hoping that's not dead. Or shelved or something. Yeah. Um, I, I do enjoy when he's not – I mean, I enjoy – Are you talking about Next Goal Wins? Yeah, Next Goal Wins. Yeah. Um, I – I enjoy his Marvel stuff. I also want to see him outside of the Marvel universe some more. Um, you know, it's wrapped. Oh, okay. It wrapped in January of 2020. Okay, so we're just waiting on mm-hmm. time to get it out. Oh, okay. uh, maybe that might be one of the reasons why it's kind of a little on the Army Hammer's in it. Ah, uh, crap. <laughs> <sighs> Great. Make a wonderful double feature with uh, Murder on the Nile. Or Death, Death on, the, on Nile. the Nile. Yeah. <laughs> I feel so bad for that movie because from what I know the story, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, you know, it's I just, Agatha Christie. It's Agatha Christie. If you know Agatha Christie movies, you probably know this story already. And it's just going to come down to how they tell it. And I know his character. So his character is fairly upfront in this movie. So that's that's a whole marketing nightmare that they have to deal with. Um, I'm hoping I'm thinking that they're just like letting letting that sit for just a little while longer and hoping people forget about it. Uh, I saw the poster. It was yeah. it was at the the theater that we went to mm-hmm. the other day. I so. saw the poster. I didn't look too closely though. Is his name on there or not? Yeah. Okay, it is on there. I would imagine though that that's probably contractual. Um. Well, it's not just contractual. That's the only poster I've seen out so far. That poster has been out for a long time. Okay. That they might, haven't replaced it. Oh, okay. So it might have like an earlier date on it, um, or is it just a coming soon? I think it's just a coming soon. Okay. Man, I wish I I wish I had worked at a movie theater during all of this, because I just would have swiped every poster. With the wrong release dates on it. Because, you know, those things are collectible now. <laughs> I mean, I have that New Mutants poster with the very first release date from April of 2018. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, uh, I remember the first time I saw that when I was in, um, I, I was like down in, oh my god, what is that area where I was for training? Philadelphia? No, it wasn't Philadelphia. It was um, near, like, Plymouth oh. Meeting. Oh, Plymouth Meeting. And uh, I went to a movie theater there to go see Shape of Water, and I look up and I went, huh, that's a New, new, new Mutants poster with the wrong date on it. Shouldn't someone take that down? <laughs> I actually I actually turned to the staff and I go, shouldn't you take that one down? Um, the move, That movie says it's supposed to have been released four months ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was... Lucky enough that, you know, we have friends who work at a local cinema and they were able to get me. That's how I got the New Mutants poster. And 
when theater started to open back up, I actually went and said, you guys got any more? You know, and some of them had took some of things. I was Like hope- no time to die. Yeah, no time to die was already gone. And um, the Ghostbusters Afterlife poster was already gone. And that, th- those were actually kind of like the two I was kind of like wanting to get. And I would have, you know, slid a couple of bucks their way if I needed to. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> But they did have like some like those little mini posters, uh, like 11 by 17 mm-hmm. that they hand out sometimes. So I got a smaller Ghostbusters one of that and I got a Wonder Woman 84. <laughs> but uh, but yes, I'd like to see more Taika Waititi movies in front and behind the camera. Um, and um, who knows? He might show up in Free Guy, too, for all we know. <laughs> what? I had pictures of a of a character in Free Guy too uh, that was similar to the dude with Taika Waititi's head. <laughs> and on that note, I think that's a great way to close this out. <laughs> yes, uh, Free Guy is currently only available to see in theaters. Remember, you can find us online at bigpicturepod.com, and we are now available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. So either use the link in the show notes post or head directly there, search, and hit subscribe. And if you like what you're hearing, please leave a positive review because that always helps us connect with new listeners. We'll be back next week with more news and a retro review of Hunchback of Notre Dame, the animated version. What other version is there? And that's all right here on the Big Picture Podcast. Charles Lawton's ghost is going to haunt you for that. <laughs> Nothing you can take can tear me away from my God. Nothing you can do cause I'm stuck right glue to my God. I'm sticking to my God.